Jay. Can you not? This is the Another Read Through Podcast. I am your host, Cal Spivey. We're going to do something that we're calling fave swap. We at the bookstore uh, are all big readers, obviously, but we have sort of different tastes. We all sort of operate in our own little spheres of the literary world. While there's some overlap, we, we don't tend to read the same books naturally. We decided to pair up and pick a book from each other's staff picks, read it, and then come together and talk about it. As I said, my name is Cal Spivey. I've been working at the bookstore for about three years. I paired up for this fave swap with Margaret Pinard. Say hello, Margaret. Hi, this is Margaret. I have been at another read through two and a half years, so just behind Cal. Just a note, we have staff picks on the website. We also have staff works, so explore both. I am an author as well. I love to read what I love to write. So we've got historical fiction high on my list and mysteries. And I definitely think I have like a type. Like if I see something on the shelf, I think most of the other people who work at another read through will be like, oh, totally Margaret. Let's tell her. <laughs> no, that's true. That's yeah. a that's a true fact. Can confirm. Yes. Stuff comes through and we're like, that's Margaret's. We're just going <laughs> to set that over set here that for aside. Margaret. First dibs. So um, we each took a, took a book from each other other's favorite list. If you look at those, you can probably tell that Cal may have a type, <laughs> Lisa may have a type as well, or not. In the dating world, people do and do not have types. Like I said, for me, um, historical fiction is way up there. Mysteries, anything to do with like Jane Austen sequels is definitely a, a dead ringer. Um, <laughs> what about you, Cal? Do you have a specific like, oh, definitely. Yeah. You will be into this. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I write speculative fiction and I also read a lot of speculative fiction, science fiction and fantasy, definitely more toward the fantasy side. I am getting more into science fiction these days uh, because I'm running the science fiction fantasy book group at the store and we try to alternate science fiction and fantasy just to try. Please and, everybody. To just try and please everybody. <laughs> although it's a very broad genre. So that's it's a bit very, very hard to do. And we are trying to get a historical book group going. So if you are at all interested in that, please sign up. Email uh, me, email please, me. <laughs> please let us know at the store. I'll put links yeah. in the show notes for you to contact us and tell us that you want a historical book group because I want to do that also because historical is like a secret type that I have. Like I don't read it very often, mm. but I really enjoy it when I do, which mm -hmm. is part of why I was so excited to pair up with you for this stuff. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, well, I've gotten feedback from a couple people just this week that, you know, I don't normally read historical fiction, but your book was so good. And I'm like, why is that? <laughs> why do people just go, oh, historical fiction? Yeah, I don't, I don't I know. I the bed both reading and writing the genre, do you think that there's like a misconception that people have about historical fiction? They could be grouping it into like historical romances mm. or in the opposite direction, like dry and boring. Yeah. I don't know. I, for a long time, stayed away from World War II ones just because so many people were into it and I just didn't it's like a, that in school. Yeah, it's a big slice. I read a couple recently. I'll come back with the titles. <laughs> um, they were just really good. Postmistress, that's the one I read most recently. Mm -hmm. I've been reading a lot of historicals lately um just because i was working That's on right. a, because i was working on a shakespeare manuscript so i was trying to find shakespeare retellings that were set in the historical time period number one they were very
very hard to find. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Historical, not in Shakespeare's time, but you mean like since then in history, right? Um, no, I was specifically looking for oh, okay. like yeah, like retelling, like sixteenth or seventeenth centuries, okay. because my retelling is set in Shakespeare's time. Okay. So I was trying to find something along those lines, and it's very very difficult. The only other thing about my type that I will say is that if it has queer characters, I am three hundred percent more likely <laughs> to okay. read it. Okay. So that that probably counts as a type. Yeah. Um, doesn't matter the genre. Tell me it's queer. I'll probably read it. And you're in the right bookstore. Exactly. <laughs> queer owned bookstore. Happy Pride. Let's talk about the first book that, okay. we, that we swapped. So Bellman in Black by Diane Zetterfield is the one that Margaret picked from my list. First, I want to hear why you picked it. Uh, it has a really pretty cover. <laughs> it does have a, I've seen it. It has some different covers, but this is my favorite of it. Yeah. So there's a crow and a black on black late Victorian dress. That's mm-hmm. very dramatic. It's also by an author who I've been meaning to read and I have another book of hers but haven't read it so that was another draw or inducement for me mm-hmm. so that was why I picked it yeah it's closer to my inclinations I guess mm-hmm. and I really liked it yay I'm so glad yeah I read it pretty quickly I think it took me maybe two to three days it's got a really unique voice there's this Thing that happens at the beginning of someone's life and then it basically tracks this boy through his life mm-hmm. and it's kind of like something that stunted his growth or stopped his emotional development mm-hmm. um, and so you see things happen and really interesting sort of historical world but not it's not said where it is in the real world so it's like its own its own thing its own rules yeah you keep feeling this mysterious force pushing in on the narrative and wondering what it is mm-hmm. so it had a little mystery element to it too it left you wondering like what that was but like open to your own interpretation very sort of gentle letting go of the reader at the end I just really liked it absolutely this was the second book by Diane Setterfield that I have read I read Mm -hmm. the 13th tale first there's some of these writers that I found are sort of revelatory to me because I I used to read a lot of YA and I read a lot of science fiction and fantasy there's a particular type of voice that you get with that and it's, it's just a lot more active it's a lot more direct it doesn't wander and linger and tilt its head Mm-hmm. a lot like yeah. it sounds like a weird way to describe the voice of a yeah. book but like that's, that's oblique yes yeah yeah that's, that's the, the feeling i got from from the 13th tale and from um her fearful symmetry was another one that's oh, I read that one. that's audrey niffenegger yeah that one was really cool slightly creepy a little uncomfortable but like lovely mm-hmm. it's, it's weird i'm still stuck halfway through the time travelers you know i've heard people say that one <laughs> It, I, okay, I feel like that's sort of a litmus test is like whether you like the time traveler's wife or whether you like her fearful symmetry. Like, uh, okay. Because the, in my, ex- in my experience, people don't like both of them. Hmm. They like one or the other. But yeah, I, I find that sort of writing style really interesting and, and a little bit uniquely British Isles. Uh, I don't think hmm. we get a lot of that from American writers, but that might just be my, my small sample No, size. I think that's a very valid observation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I started Time Traveler's Wife maybe four years ago. <laughs> and it's still like it's moved from my nightstand to my hallway in a pile of books uh, with other books since then that I still can't let go of that I bought and I think I should finish it's just like watching you from the corner yeah <laughs> <laughs> just waiting so, like 
Yeah, but maybe what you just said about there's two types and maybe just try the other type and maybe this is not for you and that maybe that will help me let yeah. go. <laughs> I would maybe yeah, I would maybe read her fearful symmetry, at least start it and see okay. if you are vibing with that a little bit more. Okay. And maybe switch if you need to. <laughs> okay, and then I could pass it on and let someone else enjoy it at the store. Yeah, so Bellman in Black is creepier than Let the Thirteenth Tale. Like there's definitely a sense of creepiness in the Thirteenth Tale and like foreboding and like a mystery, but it's not as supernatural like this one actually gives you a little bit of there's something weird going oh, on okay. with all of the rooks that are right. constantly popping up as symbology is a thing yeah. and uh i feel like this one gives you a little bit more of an otherworldly feel which obviously appeals to my speculative yeah. sensibilities so i think i might like this one better for just its overall kind of mood mm. i was just gonna say that i the little like tap tap on the window that you get of supernaturalness in this book mm-hmm. is kind of like the little bit in the firebird where like the rules of the world don't work like the one in ours so it's just a little bit different than what you would expect so yeah yeah, a little bit is just perfect for me maybe (laughs) yeah no it's true um so we can talk about the firebird now so okay uh, i chose the firebird by Susanna kearsley 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 um from margaret's list with this one, with a lot of books, I, I tend to get recommendations from friends and family members, and I don't usually check the book out very much. Like, I don't read the that cover copy Screen half the it. time. Yeah. yeah, I don't look at the reviews, anything like that, because I, I find that I like oh, to... Oh, yeah, reviews. No. <laughs> I like to go into a book without right. expectations. Um, spoilers, like the back of the book sometimes have. Yeah, like, maybe if I hear somebody give me a heads up that there's something a little squeaky in the book, then maybe I will... Squeaky? Yeah, like say there's a book with a trans character, right? So people are telling me you should read it because it's got a trans character. But if a trans friend of mine is like, I read it and there's a part that's like not okay, uh, okay. then I'll investigate. But for the most part, I, I will go into a book with like bare minimum information. Yeah. So this one, I read whatever the short like preview description is. I was like, that's cool. Like, <laughs> Sold. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, I'm there. So that's why I picked the Firebird. <laughs> okay. Because it sounded interesting. Yeah. Uh, I give out very few five star reviews anymore. Yeah. You know? I'm, I'm a little that stingy with them. Back. I'm a little yeah. stingy with them. But yeah. Lisa so, has influenced us. She, she has. Our boss is. Um, you have to earn her respect. Yeah. Like her books. average reviews are like two or three stars. Yeah. Which I understand. Different system. Yeah. Mm. So the Firebird had an interesting premise that is almost a little hard to categorize because the two main characters are psychic, mm-hmm. but it's like really chill mm-hmm. somehow. Yeah. That's not the thriller part. There's, mm-hmm. like, political intrigue and, like, danger and suspense and love and mm-hmm. all these things mixed in. Yeah, so. so how long ago did you read The Firebird? Oh, like, five years, maybe six. <laughs> I didn't reread it, but I got to meet the author last year at the Historical Novel Society conference. She gave a workshop on twin storylines, which is one of the features of The Firebird, is that there's a present storyline and a past storyline. That's part of what the psychic ability enables, is sort of this delving into the past, which isn't one of my books. That's it's an interesting feature and I feel like I, I don't think I've read too many historical fiction books that use it just because I haven't read that many historical fiction books but I think I, I read a lot of blurbs with that so yeah. it seems to be a pretty common thing in the genre well there's there's twin storylines and then there's framing devices and I feel like I get kind of uh, with framing like <laughs> so, someone discovered this in the attic and then they delve, delve back into the past to mm-hmm. describe all the things in scene instead of by looking at the letters or whatever so that's know. more like possession is more like a framing device than it is a twin storyline. It does have in scene in the past. I think it's got like one right? scene really? as an epilogue. I meant there's a big chunk in the middle where it's just the letters back and forth. 
Oh, okay. And then I think there might be sort of an end cap glimpse okay. into the past. But other than that, I think it's mostly present. And I remember most, like, the, looking at the diary and how, just thinking about how people kept track every day of what they did because their lives were so interesting. Like, what? Yeah, what yeah. So that was one of the big takeaways, apparently. No, I would say that's a storyline. That was one of her examples, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it seems like kind of a tricky thing to parse out, mm-hmm. which is interesting from a writing perspective, but also mm-hmm. from a reader perspective. I don't know. I tend to shy away from those stories when I see that kind of duality happening because I am like, why not just write it as a historical book? But then that might just be me. Yeah. Because it's not like there's not value in juxtaposition. The intro. Yeah. I think you have to give both storylines the same dire stakes. Mm -hmm. That was one of the feedbacks for one of my novels is that this one is obviously the one you're more excited about. So you need to beef up the other one, you know? Because otherwise people are like, I want to get to that line. I want to get to that story. And then you're like, fail. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I totally get that. I wonder about that in The Firebird because I think for most of the novel, the historical storyline feels a lot more intense. Hmm. The Firebird is about Nicola, who's this she works for um, a, an auction house, like an art dealer of some yeah, kind. Yeah, gallery or something. Like uh, Christie's. Yeah, like that, but, uh, but not as real and the this woman comes in with an artifact that she says came from the first empress catherine of russia the dealer says no it's not you can't verify it can't, so it's not provable and you. you know we can't we can't give you money for it um, nicola the protagonist is psychic she sees things when she touches objects so she grips it for a second accidentally and sees a, a glimpse of a vision mm-hmm. so she decides to help this woman but she doesn't she does not vibe with her psychic powers she she does not really want that right. uh, in her life. So she... It's only caused trouble up to this point. Yeah. So why exactly. let the demons loose? Yeah. So she ropes in her ex-boyfriend and much better psychic, Rob, who is a little too good to be true, but I love him. That's exactly what I said in my review. <laughs> like, he, yeah. he's literally perfect. Yeah. And I love him. Yeah. So they go tromping all over Europe following the clues that they see in these visions of Anna, who is the the woman's ancestor and the one who received the firebird from Empress Catherine. And so that they can try to find some proof of its origins and help this woman, this lonely old woman, go on a Feed cruise before she whatever dies. Whatever it is, it's, yeah. She, go, she wants to go on a cruise <laughs> okay. before she dies of a terminal illness. And yeah. She's, but she's broke. So that's the story. We see Anna in these visions. Her her father is a, a major figure in the Jacobite cause, trying to get King James back on the throne of England and Scotland. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of history. There's a lot of intrigue. And and, and sometimes it's a little bit hard to tell just how much danger she's in because she's very young when her, her scenes start, but it builds for sure. There's a lot more action happening and a lot more stakes for most of the book in the historical time. Right. It's more suspense and thriller-esque. More, yeah, yeah. Whereas the present thing, from what I remember, is more about the relationship and her sort of like casting off this wish to not own what she has, not own her abilities. Yeah. And like risk everything again and hook up with this perfect man. Oh my god, he's so <laughs> perfect. <laughs> He's so perfect. He's uh, he's delightful. Yeah. Uh, you know what I found? Anna has her own romance later on once she gets older um, with Edmund, who is also just special. <laughs> 
if I have a, a favorite type of male character yeah. as a love interest, then you know I think they're both in this book. Nice. I think that there was a lot of similarity between them, even though like Edmund was supposedly such a rogue mm-hmm. and Rob was such a gentleman. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think they were more similar than different, mm-hmm. which was probably the point because that was a little bit on the nose at the end there, where like matching things up. Yeah, where uh, um, Nicola was like, "Oh no, I can't be with Rob," and then Anna was like, "Oh, how can I?" I be with Edmund. <laughs> there is a uh, hand to brow there for all you people who can't see that. That's, hey, it's the 18th century, okay? Yes. Like, that's what they did, yes. right? That's what yes. all of the um, historical writers All right, so it was became. on the nose, but it was a happy ending, right? What about the ending for Bellman in Black? Yeah. So we get a sort of resolution. Mm-hmm. We get a resolution for the protagonist. Spoiler alert, he dies. <laughs> um, but then we have a little bit of denouement with his daughter mm-hmm. and how she is surviving and sort of pulling together the pieces in, in her life, which mm-hmm. I really liked. Yeah, yeah. Bellman and Black, I think, is interesting because, like, it's a very morose story. Like, the whole thing is that there's this... Uh, Workaholic. Uh, yeah. Well, it starts in childhood. There's this incident... I don't remember quite what the incident is. Um, oh, he throws a rock and he, oh, and he, perfect he kills parabola the bird. and kills a crow in a tree way, way far away that's like impossible, but it happens. Yeah. Years later, this person appears, this like creepy, honestly, I kind of picture him as like the Babadook. I don't know if you've seen What's that. It's a horror, it's an Australian horror movie. Ooh, um, there. <laughs> But the, the person is like, wears a, the Babadook wears the hulking black coat. He's got this weird hat and this very pale face. Mm. So that's how I imagine this strange person who appears yeah. and is like, you should open an emporium of mourning clothes yeah. and accessories. Mourning with a U as in mourning after a death. Right. And so that the, he tells the protagonist to do this. And so the protagonist then spends his entire life neglecting his family and everything but this emporium. Well, he's already got the roots for that. So because of this incident, I don't know because of it, but Mm -hmm. all these deaths happen in his life. Oh, wait, like 19th century. Deaths happen in his life. Mm -hmm. He, for whatever reason, compartmentalizes this happening with two sides. He's he's working and he's learning and he's making people's lives better. He's becoming the manager at the mill. He's becoming the owner at the mill. Mm -hmm. All these events that happen in his life lead him to... He's got his his supply line for the the later venture is this mill where they make him dye fabric. Well, and it starts out, he's got great roots because he observes everything and he's eager to learn and he gets right you know when there's something stuck in the wheel he goes down into the river and like he comes off very appealing at the beginning Mm -hmm. but then you're like but why is he so concentrated on this workaholic thing like there's the original setup of him not having a dad and the dad character is like oh you have no sympathy for him you're expecting him to come back and like Mm -hmm. there's all these sort of strands but the beginning and sort of the roots of it are interesting they're ambiguous I feel but then he gets you know sort of shooted into to this there's no going back yeah right to the end yeah, yeah just harder and faster and his like stopping time to make things work and just not oh paying god i forgot things. about that yeah. yeah i thought all the spookiness was just with the birds and this weird dude yeah but no there's like that whole thing the way i remember it it feels like a story that's heading for a tragic conclusion mm-hmm. you know so the ending where he dies and things just kind of fall apart a little mm-hmm. bit felt right to me yeah. it felt like how it was supposed to end but it didn't feel tragic mm-hmm. right because 
he gets the very last visit from Mr. Black, as mm-hmm. he calls him, and then has like a really quick sort of film reel in his mind of all the people who died and all the loves in his life and all the things that he missed out on. And there's like, I feel like it's a really fast minute, which is a couple pages long. He remembers. Mm-hmm. Mr. Black tells him to remember. So I feel like there's some redemption mm-hmm. for him. That's true. Yeah, I guess it doesn't feel tragic, which is part of why I liked it. It's hard to explain, though, because it's still a dark ending. Yeah. I think. Dark because of his implications for all the rest of us, right? <laughs> you shall repent or <laughs> you shall integrate thy life. Kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I just I found it to be a pretty thoughtful mm-hmm. book. I like that kind of Loki story. Yeah. Um, let me let me shuffle this piece of paper in front of you and get your feedback on it, kind of thing. Like it's mm-hmm. it's not in your face. It's not pushy. It's like, hmm. Mm-hmm. What do I think about that? What is you know think about my life, kind of thing. Really nice. And the same as the Firebird. The descriptions are just beautiful. Mm-hmm. All the details. The writing like is Victorian key. stuff. When he talks about the colors, the blacks that he finds, uh, and how he so has to cool. expose all of them to different weather, and he sends them home to the made to like stuff this in a drawer for six months and wash this <laughs> 60 times and, and scrub it and dry it and then you know throw it outside and like comparing just to have this like perfectionist streak for all his his goods that he's gonna sell mm-hmm. ah, it's fantastic yeah you wouldn't think that kind of thing would be fascinating yeah and yet yeah it really really is oh, victorian morning shout out to liana <laughs> um there's another author liana renee oh oh um liana renee yes. Hebert. Uh, ex eterna or something you eternophiles eternophiles that's and, it and um she always dresses up in like her black morning gown when she goes to events and she mm. looks fantastic and she has this line of crafts as well where it's like metals and pins and brooches some of them are vintage and some of them are um, made up with more current themes mm. but she knows a lot about the whole morning customs and how that's, that's yeah, such a cultural serious phenomenon. business actually that came up in the firebird right because they spent a year in mourning for peter oh. the great oh okay so you yeah. know anna was sewing this gown out of this new fancy french silk but she couldn't wear it for a year because they were in morning black after morning. the Tsar died. And there's like half morning then there's quarter morning where you can get different colors of black. Mm-hmm. And I mean and that was in 18th century Russia so slightly right. different. Whole year of mourning in the whole country by royal edict. Yeah. God, we don't have that now. I mean I wear mostly black anyway like by choice. Oh, yeah. But matching blacks is very difficult which is why you have this whole I section in, in Bellman and Black about the different shades of black and, mm-hmm. and what happens to mm-hmm. them. Fascinating. So uh, I was thinking about fave swaps in general and I was thinking about the question if you've ever had a book recommended to you that it was someone else's favorite and you read it but you would you would never have picked it up yourself but it ended up totally liking it and like opening up your mind was it maybe a blind date <laughs> or um blind dates are this thing we have at the store where elisa covers a book and then puts the first line on the front because it, you get a first impression but you don't get to see what the cover looks like so it's like a blind date but i have done that several times for book club recommendations where i'm like i have no idea what this book is about but i I'm going to read it because I'm going to meet up with my friends. So one of those for me was White Tiger by Aravind Adiga. I just looked it up and I'm sure I don't pronounce it right because it's <laughs> Indian. Yeah, I never would have picked it up. It's kind of like Slumdog Millionaire in terms of the setting and sort of life story, mm-hmm. but very different um, in voice and pacing and just like seeing the underside of Indian urban life and development and like changing times and this taxi cab driver who like makes a deal with the devil kind of thing and then gets into more than he thought he was and really Really fascinating. Kind of like Slumdog Millionaire meets Femme Nikita. Mm. <laughs> Okay. All right. Interesting. So do you have a book like that where you're like, I wouldn't have picked this up, but open me up something new. Yeah. I'm thinking like, 
The Panopticon by Jenny Fagan, hmm. which uh, is a novel that came out a couple of years ago. I read it in um, my first book group here in Portland. That was a book group with a bunch of different kinds of readers. So this one is a novel. It's it's a contemporary novel, I think. It's been a couple of years ago now that I read it. But it's about this girl whose name is Anais Hendricks. And she's an orphan and she's 15. But she um, gets taken to this sort of juvenile detention home. It's not like a prison or mm. it's not nominally a prison but of course panopticon is a Greek word for circular prison so it's very thematic oh. that way I thought it was one of those cameras that sees all around pan optic uh, so it says here a circular prison with cells so constructed that the prisoners can be observed at all times oh. mm-hmm. maybe that's the on part okay. yeah not a Latin yeah. well yeah. I mean there's they, these are root words obviously yeah. that like make their way into a bunch of other things but this book I remember being really surprised when I started to read it I don't even know if I can like summarize what it's about really because it's just this girl sort of rebelling against her circumstances and like surviving and and all that kind of stuff I don't modern day yeah which is one of the reasons why I don't I wouldn't have picked it up I really don't read contemporary books like I just don't it's not that I dislike them necessarily I just don't find myself interested in that kind of thing so I have a really hard time picking up those kinds of books even if they have a speculative element though I think the most recent one that I read was Tina Connelly's seriously wicked Wicked? series Mm -hmm. and that's just because uh, yeah I mean I know, I know her I've read her other Amazing. stuff I trust her writing and and it's really really funny so you know I enjoyed reading them the panopticon was one that I really wouldn't have picked up on my own but I ended up giving it five stars it was really really good it was an award winner for like best new Scottish novel or best new Scottish author or something like that the year mm. it came out I don't know if there's been anything more recently than that that was a absolutely outside my wheelhouse recommendation yeah cool but, so yeah I really enjoyed doing the fave swap yeah me too. I think that was definitely fun. Thank you for Thank you. coming in talking about books. Another Read Through is a queer-owned independent bookstore in Portland, Oregon. Our mission is to keep Portland reading and support queer and local authors. We host many events every month, including author readings, panel discussions, and book clubs. Check us out at anotherreadthrough.com or on North Mississippi Avenue starting every day at 11 a.m. Follow us on Twitter at Another Read or on Instagram at Another Read Through. This episode was produced by me, Cal Spivey. Our theme music is by Zach Enger. Links and book lists are in the episode description. Happy reading!